You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rayner Roberts. Our current serial is of knives and night blooms. And uh, yeah, since the last time I recorded, the manuscript is actually finished, which is very exciting to me, considering it was a book that I originally expected to be novella length. Uh, And then I knew exactly how many chapters it was going to be. uh, And I was so completely wrong. Like every time. And at one point I was two chapters away from the end for about three months. um, Because the story kept getting bigger. I should also confess that this is the first of a series. (laughs) Which should shock nobody. Uh, I've always planned to do more, but I've also also planned for this first volume to be self-contained based on the river road trip, the point at which the river trip ends while the story will not be over uh, is, is the point at which this first volume of, of the story ends. And so finding a way to finish it in a way that is both open-ended but also satisfying has been a lot of work. <laughs> uh, but there will be more. My, my plan is to start the second volume at some point on the podcast next year. Uh, there'll be a few things in between to give me a break because this has been quite an intensive writing process as it turns out. Uh, and there'll be some reprint stories I meant to do more reprint stories this year and, of course, of Knives and Night Blooms sort of rose up and swallowed the whole podcast. So I'm going to do some uh, shorter fun things early next year. I have what is intended to be a very short standalone uh, serial and then I'll be delving back into the second volume of The River Divine. Uh, But don't worry, I am planning on this being a book which has an end. Um, Yeah. Anyway, it's finished. It is actually finished. It is no longer the everlasting road trip. At one point I was reminded of, um, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but there is a, uh, there's a romance rom-com movie in which Meg Ryan is like the, granddaughter of Einstein I'm sure I'm not making this up and at one point she explains Zeno's paradox by getting closer and closer to Tim Robbins but never actually kissing him that's felt a little bit like me trying to get to the end of the river divine Uh, and now I need to go and look up that movie and find out if I imagined it because if I did uh, I'm not sure what that says about my brain all right so our current serial This week's chapter, chapter 25, On the Right Bank of the Court of Miracles. Wait, I should actually say, this isn't the last chapter. This is chapter 25. Uh, Currently, I am very firm on it being 29 chapters is where the story ends. Uh, There's one I was thinking of splitting, but I don't think I will because I was running out of place names. Uh, as as you can see by this indeed chapter. All right. Chapter 25, On the Right Bank of the Court of Miracles. 
Nothing like the sharp sensation of your wife's boot connecting to your lower ribs to wake you up from an unnatural sleep. Icaros sucked in air and stared up at Valeria. She looked tired. Not old. She would never look old. Not as long as she served the Black Raven. But her cheeks were hollowed, the scars across her face more pronounced than usual. Calix was nearby, though not close enough for Icaros to feel safe. He inhaled, exhaled, and got to his feet. What did I miss? They were still on the deck of the Shadow Barge, moored on the right bank of the Court of Miracles, though moored suggested such practical necessities as a ring and a rope. The Shadow Barge did not require such things. It waited where it had been left, near a tangled assortment of dice boats and drinking skiffs. The current moved impossibly around it, having no effect whatever on the boat. Why are we on this side? Icarus asked, surveying the busy river for any sign of the silken hair. It was odd to be docked on the right bank. Most inward traffic veered to the left to avoid collisions. Perhaps the gods did not worry about such things as accidentally ramming muscle trawlers. They left us here, said Valeria. The Black Raven has Dio with him, I suppose. Why else would he choose this bank of the river? The ancient shrine of tribute was located on the right bank, where the Court of Miracles kissed dry land. Fuck, said Icarus. Aidan had been looking at Dio like he was good enough to eat. He should have guessed why. What do you think Calix's bond will do to the boy if he swears service to a god after the fact? Let's not find out, Valeria said. Come on. Dio was burning up. His whole body felt aflame. He didn't know if the pain was caused by his distance from Calix or something else, but it was all terribly wrong. Aidan was terribly wrong. The beautiful god had dragged him across the rocking ramshackle pontoons of the Court of Miracles, from barge to skiff to bridge to deck, with all eyes on them. Every priest and pickpocket in this whole benighted boat village kept their distance, knowing danger when it streaked across their planking. Aidan was bleeding. Not actual blood, but there was something vital leaking out of his body, whether it be power or miracles or some mystical god stuff that held him together. Feathers, dust. The black raven was less than he had been. He became still less with every moment of desperate flight. When they passed by a ship selling fresh-cut flowers, the blooms wilted. When they passed a barge selling live river crabs for the table, the creatures fell limply in their buckets. Dio felt like he too was dying. Why else was his chest so tight, his fingers and toes so swollen, his stomach on the verge of bursting open? Aidan's fingers clenched tightly around Dio's wrist as they stumbled together across the Court of Miracles, were so cold that they stabbed pain through his bones. <laughs>
Nearly there, the god muttered beneath his breath. Where, Dio retorted. Can't we just stop? Find the others, they'll help you. No, Aidan snapped, squeezing Dio's wrist harder. They don't want to help me. They're on her side now. His skin was practically grey. I'm on her side. Dio didn't know if Aiden meant Calix or Nimue, but it didn't matter. He would choose to protect either of them, both of them, if he could. Gods can take care of themselves, surely. Where are we going? Dio asked. Shrine of Tribute? Why? Dio was genuinely shocked. The Shrine of Tribute was the only temple in the Divine Kingdom that wasn't sacred to any specific god. Strange choice for a deity in freefall. Surely he'd want to be around his own handmaidens, his servants. There was a temple to the Black Raven in the city, and Raven's Gate itself, back along the Coronas. That would be a safe place for Aiden to wrap himself in worship, build his strength. Why this shrine? What was the point? And then it rose in his head, one of the many random questions and answers about the gods of the Divine Kingdom that Dio had memorised in the hope it would come up on the next Gladius exam. At which shrine would the silver hawk and the lark of the hearth swear a new acolyte to their service? It was a trick question, inviting the student to fill the space with a double answer, calling up any number of well-known war temples or Traditions, along with the popular temples for domesticity, love, protection of fertility. But the one-size-fits-all answer was the Shrine of Tribute. It was the oldest, the first of the shrines from the early days of the new gods, when the five birds rose and took the divine kingdom for their own, when they knew how to share power. The shrine was old and small and largely forgotten by worshippers who weren't already part of the disreputable community here at the Court of Miracles. But it was a sacred space to the gods and the more old-fashioned mode of priest. Do you want me to be your acolyte? Dio asked, stumbling over the edge of a rope bridge. He swayed looking down into the dark river water below. For a moment he thought he saw a face down there watching him. A servant of the Black Raven. Me? I need you to be mine, said Aidan. He wasn't nearly as attractive now, with this desperate look on his face, as if he was empty all the way down to his bones. Did gods have bones? I need new blood, Dio. I need you. Dio's stomach, already rebelling along with the rest of his body, lurched in another jolt of pain. Calix's bond tugged at him. They would rip him apart, these two, without even trying. So much power, and he was stuck in the middle. Why would you want me? No one had ever chosen him. His aunties had passed him around like a parcel, none of them holding on to him for long. Even this whole mess... His involvement was an accident. Calix's magic had reached out and scooped him up because the bow had not reached the blooming cup in time. 
Loyalty, murmured Aidan. You're full of it. Brimming. Loyalty and life. You'll make a fine priest. Then why didn't you want me when I was born? It was Aidan's turn to stumble. They were halfway across the rope bridge now, and the god was so shaken that Dio was able to rest his arm back. Bruises like fingerprints flared up on his wrist. He rubbed at the painful skin angrily. What makes you think that? asked Aidan. No, the Black Raven. His eyes filled with a sadness that reminded Dio all over again how compelling he'd been when he was just a stranger in the dark. None of you marked me as a baby. Not one of you chose me. I've been free of you my whole life. Free to choose my own fate. Left alone. What makes you think you can have me now? Aidan's eyes glowed with dark fire. I can have anything I want, he said. Even you, especially you. You belong to no one else. No, said Dio, shaking his head. I don't want to be your priest. Take my service. No, Dio said again. Aidan's voice rose up, rich and heavy and furious. This is all you've ever wanted. A place, a hearth, to be chosen. Why give your youth and spirit and fire to the Gladius Corps? They'd only waste your talents. I choose you, Dio Taurus. It was awful to have someone, even a god, look inside your heart and see you so completely. And yet... Dio had changed over the last few days. He'd found a purpose, even if it was accidental. I don't choose you back, he said stubbornly. The god hissed and something else fell away from him. A fine layer of ghost feathers, grey and pale. What remained of the black raven was weaker, a frail shadow of Aden. You can't refuse, he said. Watch me, said Dio Taurus. Death smiled a cruel smile. You won't survive refusing me. Dio had always wanted to be brave. What was his dream to be a gladius all about, if not that? Pretending to be brave right now was the hardest thing he'd ever done. Let's find out, he challenged Death. There were no priests or handmaidens or anyone at all tending the Shrine of Tribute. It was a small stone hut on the very edge of the shore, where land met the water-bound Court of Miracles. Not even a sacred flame, or any religious artworks worth stealing. There was a plain stone altar, on which locals could leave any small offerings to the gods, ripe fruits, flowers and harvest nuts, the occasional nice-looking pebble. Nothing worth offending the gods over, though the bunch of grapes balanced on the very edge of the altar did look succulent. He's not here, Icaros raged. Where are they? Valeria turned her back on him, surveying the Court of Miracles. So many bridges, pontoons, awnings and banners. Chaos afloat. They can't be far, she said. Where else would they go? 
Then she let out a noise like she'd been punched in the gut. Icarus whirled around, just in time to see a cloud of black ravens explode into the air a little way from them. Dio! They ran across the court, treading lightly on roofs and awnings, slithering across canvas and damp wood. Finally they reached a rope bridge, soaking wet and swinging loose of one bracket. Dio lay there, soaked with water, as if there'd been a summer storm only seconds ago. Oi! yelled a fortune teller, in bold brassy gold jewellery, with a small crowd gathered behind her. This is you, isn't it, bloody priests? We won't have you lot causing problems here. This is the court of miracles, Valeria said impatiently. Don't you know a miracle when you see one? The fortune teller scoffed. Keep your gods off our bank, she said. We know the way the wind's blowing, and it's not for them. Valeria frowned as if about to continue the argument. Icarus ignored them, scrambling onto the bridge. Dio, wake up. The young man was lying horribly still, his body sprawled on the rope bridge. There was a mark on his face that had not been there before, a black scythe knife emblazoned across his cheek. Icarus, Valeria warned. He looked down and saw what she was seeing. Water dripped up the sides of barges and bridges. It slithered up and along the bridge in narrow rivulets, wetting Icarus's boots. Where it met the unconscious Dio, it pulled and expanded quickly, forming a shape. This all felt very familiar. The River Divine, I believe, said Icarus. The water shuddered and resolved itself into Nimue. She was clad, thank the blood and endless, though the tunic she wore was alarmingly transparent and did not look any more solid than she was. She leaned over Dio, brushing her mouth to the cheek that had been marked by the black raven. Dio choked awake. Icarus caught himself breathing at the same ragged pace, matching the breaths of the young man. Beside him, Valeria pressed his arm, just to show she'd noticed him caring about something, someone, in case he thought he'd got away with it. Death! shouted Dio, wild-eyed. So dramatic, chided Valeria. We know who you mean, dear. He's gone after Calix. But why? Nimue breathed clutching at Dio's ragged, wet shirt. He should know by now that it's it's me. I'm the problem. Oh, groaned Dio, rubbing his head. He knows. He knew before you stepped in to save me. I can't believe you fought him. Sorry we missed that, said Icarus. He was hurting you, said Nimue. Dio's hand slowed at his own cheek, touching the mark tentatively. He's allowed to now, he said. No, said Icarus, he is not. Dio met Nimue's eyes. He's going after your mother because it's the only way he can hurt you and he's terrified of you. Nimue drew Dio to his feet, then outstretched both her hands. 
The rope bridge underneath them untied itself, glistening with water. Stable beneath their feet. Water poured up to form a more solid railing. And to Icaros's alarm, something that looked a lot like a sail. No, Icaros said immediately. We're not travelling on that. <laughs> on the river, you mean, said Nimoy archly. I know your prejudice, Icaros, but I'm the only way you'd reach them fast enough. I think it's marvellous, said Valeria, and moved past Icaros to step onto the bewildering structure of planking and solid water that was by no means a boat, not by any definition. Best miracle I've seen all day. Icarus groaned and grasped the railing of Nimue's vessel of water. I hate this, he informed them all. They slid across the rooftops and canopies of the right bank of the Court of Miracles together, heading for the open water of the harbour, and taking their miracle with them. Thanks for listening to Sheep Might Fly. We have four chapters to go, and then the novel is complete. This podcast was recorded on Palawa land. I acknowledge and pay respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people as the traditional and continuing custodians of Lutruita, Tasmania. Sheep Might Fly is produced and edited by Andrew Finch. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates, follow me on Instagram, Blue Sky or Threads at TansyRR. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of bonus rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. See you next week.